0: Chapter Two of The Spoils of Poynton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Spoils of Poynton by Henry James. Chapter Two. These were neither more nor less than the things with which she had had time to learn from Mrs. Gareth that Poynton overflowed. Poynton, in the south of England, was this lady's established, or rather her disestablished home. It had recently passed into the possession of her son. The father of the boy, an only child, had died two years before, and in London, with his mother, Owen was occupying for May and June a house good-naturedly lent them by Colonel Gareth, their uncle and brother-in-law. His mother had laid her hand so engagingly on Flea Vetch, that in a very few days the girl knew it was possible they should suffer together in Cadogan Place, almost as much as they had suffered together at Waterbath. The kind soldier's house was also an ordeal, but the two women for the ensuing month had at least the relief of their confessions. The great drawback of Mrs. Gareth's situation was that, Thanks to the rare perfection of Poynton, she was condemned to wince wherever she turned. She had lived for a quarter of a century in such warm closeness with the beautiful that, as she frankly admitted, life had become for her a kind of fool's paradise. She couldn't leave her own house without peril of exposure. She didn't say it in so many words, but Fleeter could see that she held there was nothing in England really to compare to Poynton. There were places much grander and richer, but there was no such complete work of art, nothing that would appeal so to those who were really informed. In putting such elements into her hand, destiny had given her an inestimable chance. She knew how rarely well things had gone with her, and that she had enjoyed an extraordinary fortune. There had been in the first place the exquisite old house itself, early Jacobean, supreme in every part. It was a provocation, an inspiration, a matchless canvas for the picture. Then there had been her husband's sympathy and generosity, his knowledge and love, their perfect accord and beautiful life together, twenty-six years of planning and seeking, a long, sunny harvest of taste and curiosity. Lastly, she never denied, there had been her personal gift, the genius the passion the patience of the collector a patience an almost infernal cunning that had enabled her to do it all with a limited command of money there wouldn't have been money enough for any one else she said with pride but there had been money enough for her they had saved on lots of things in life and there were lots of things they hadn't had but they had had in every corner of europe their swing among the jews it was fascinating to poor Fleda, who hadn't a penny in the world, nor anything nice at home, and whose only treasure was her subtle mind, to hear this genuine English lady, fresh and fair, young in the fifties, declare with gaiety and conviction that she was herself the greatest Jew who had ever tracked a victim. Fleda, with her mother dead, hadn't even so much as a home, and her nearest chance of one was that there was some appearance her sister would become engaged to a curate, whose eldest brother was supposed to have property, and would perhaps allow him something. Her father paid some of her bills, but he didn't like her to live with him, and she had lately, in Paris, with several hundred other young women, spent a year in a studio, arming herself for the battle of life by a course with an impressionist painter. She was determined to work, but her impressions were somebody else's, Were as yet her only material. Missus Gareth had told her she liked her because she had an extraordinary flair. But under the circumstances, a flair was a questionable boon. In the dry spaces in which she had mainly moved, she could have borne a chronic catarrh. She was constantly summoned to Gedugan Place, and before the end of the month was out, was kept to stay, to pay a visit of which the end it was agreed should have nothing to do with the beginning. She had a sense, partly exultant and partly alarmed, of having quickly become necessary to her imperious friend, who indeed gave a reason quite sufficient for it in telling her there was nobody else who understood. For Mrs. Gareth there was in these days an immense deal to understand, though it might be freely summed up in the circumstance that she was wretched. She told Fleda that she couldn't completely know why till she should have seen the things at Poynton. Fleda could perfectly grasp this connection, which was exactly one of the matters that, in their inner mystery, were a blank to everybody else. The girl had a promise that the wonderful house would be shown her early in July, when Mrs. Gareth would return to it as to her home, but even before this initiation she put her finger on the spot that in the poor lady's troubled soul ached hardest. This was the misery that haunted her— the dread of the inevitable surrender what fleda had to sit up to was the confirmed appearance that owen gareth would marry mona brigstock marry her in his mother's teeth and that such an act would have incalculable bearings they were present to mrs gareth her companion could see with a vividness that at moments almost ceased to be that of sanity she would have to give up poynton and give it up to a product of water bath that was the wrong that rankled, the humiliation at which Fleda would be able adequately to shudder only when she should know the place. She did know Waterbath, and she despised it. She had that qualification for sympathy. Her sympathy was intelligent, for she read deep into the matter. She stared aghast as it came home to her for the first time at the cruel English custom of the expropriation of the lonely mother mr gareth had apparently been a very amiable man but mr gareth had left things in a way that made the girl marvel the house and its contents had been treated as a single splendid object everything was to go straight to his son and his widow was to have a maintenance and a cottage in another county no account whatever had been taken of her relation to her treasures of the passion with which she had waited for them, worked for them, picked them over, made them worthy of each other and the house, watched them, loved them, lived with them. He appeared to have assumed that she would settle questions with her son, that he could depend on Owen's affection. And in truth, as poor Mrs. Gareth inquired, how could he possibly have had a prevision? He, who turned his eyes instinctively from everything repulsive, of anything so abnormal as a water-bath Brigstock, He had been in ugly houses enough, but had escaped that particular nightmare. Nothing so perverse could have been expected to happen as that the heir to the loveliest thing in England should be inspired to hand it over to a girl so exceptionally tainted. Mrs. Gareth spoke of poor Mona's taint, as if to mention it were almost a violation of decency, and a person who had listened without enlightenment would have wondered of what fault the girl had been or had indeed not been guilty but owen had from a boy never cared had never had the least pride or pleasure in his home well then if he doesn't care fleda exclaimed with some impetuosity stopping short however before she completed her sentence mrs gareth looked at her rather hard if he doesn't care fleda hesitated she had not quite had a definite idea well he'll give them up give what up why those beautiful things give them up to whom mrs gareth more boldly stared to you of course to enjoy to keep for yourself and leave his house as bare as your hand there's nothing in it that isn't precious fleda considered her friend had taken her up with a smothered ferocity "'by which he was slightly disconcerted. "'I don't mean, of course, that he should surrender everything, "'but he might let you pick out the things to which you're most attached.' "'I think he would if he were free,' said Mrs. Gareth. "'And do you mean as it is that she'll prevent him?' "'Mona Brigstock, between these ladies, was now nothing but she. "'By every means in her power. "'But surely not because she understands and appreciates them.' "'No,' Mrs. Gareth replied, "'but because they belong to the house, and the house belongs to Owen. If I should wish to take anything, she would simply say, with that motionless mask, "'It goes with the house.' And day after day, in the face of every argument, of every consideration of generosity, she would repeat, without winking, in that voice like the squeeze of a doll's stomach, "'It goes with the house, it goes with the house.' In that attitude they'll shut themselves up. Fleda was struck, was even a little startled with the way Mrs. Gareth had turned this over, had faced, if indeed only to recognize its futility, the notion of a battle with her only son. These words led her to make an inquiry which she had not thought it discreet to make before. She brought out the idea of the possibility, after all, of her friends continuing to live at Poynton, Would they really wish to proceed to extremities? Was no good-humoured, graceful compromise to be imagined or brought about? Couldn't the same roof cover them? Was it so very inconceivable that a married son should, for the rest of her days, share with so charming a mother the home she had devoted more than a score of years to making beautiful for him? Mrs. Gareth hailed this question with a wan, compassionate smile. She replied that a common household in such a case was exactly so inconceivable that Fleda had only to glance over the fair face of the English land to see how few people had ever conceived it. It was always thought a wonder, a mistake, a piece of overstrained sentiment, and she confessed that she was as little capable of a flight of that sort as Owen himself. Even if they both had been capable— they would still have Mona's hatred to reckon with. Fleeta's breath was sometimes taken away by the great bounds and elisions which, on Mrs. Gareth's lips, the course of the discussion could take. This was the first she had heard of Mona's hatred, though she certainly had not needed Mrs. Gareth to tell her that in close quarters that young lady would prove secretly mulish. Later, Fleeta perceived, indeed, that perhaps almost any girl, would hate a person who should be so markedly averse to having anything to do with her. Before this, however, in conversation with her young friend, Mrs. Gareth furnished a more vivid motive for her despair, by asking how she could possibly be expected to sit there with the new proprietors and accept, or call it for a day, endure, the horrors they would perpetrate in the house. Fleeda reasoned that they wouldn't, after all, smash things or burn them up and Mrs. Gareth admitted, when pushed, that she didn't quite suppose they would. What she meant was that they would neglect them, ignore them, leave them to clumsy servants. There wasn't an object of them all but should be handled with perfect love, and in many cases probably wished to replace them by pieces answerable to some vulgar modern notion of the convenient." above all she saw in advance with dilated eyes the abominations they would inevitably mix up with them the maddening relics of water-bath the little brackets and pink vases the sweepings of bazaars the family photographs and illuminated texts the household art and household piety of mona's hideous home wasn't it enough simply to contend that Mona would approach Poynton in the spirit of a Brigstock, and that in the spirit of a Brigstock she would deal with her acquisition? Did Fleda really see her, Mrs. Gareth demanded, spending the rest of her days with such a creature's elbow in her eye? Fleeda had to declare that she certainly didn't, and that Waterbath had been a warning it would be frivolous to overlook. At the same time she privately reflected that they were taking a great deal for granted, and that, inasmuch as to her knowledge, Owen Gareth had positively denied his betrothal, the ground of their speculations was by no means firm. It seemed to our young lady that in a difficult position Owen conducted himself with some natural art treating this domesticated confidant of his mother's wrongs with a simple civility that almost troubled her conscience, so deeply she felt that she might have had for him the air of siding with that lady against him. She wondered if he would ever know how little really she did this, and that she was there, since Mrs. Gareth had insisted, not to betray, but essentially to confirm and protect.' The fact that his mother disliked Mona Brigstock might have made him dislike the object of her preference, and it was detestable to Fleda to remember that she might have appeared to him to offer herself as an exemplary contrast. It was clear enough, however, that the happy youth had no more sense for a motive than a deaf man for a tune, a limitation by which, after all, she could gain as well as lose. He came and went very freely on the business with which London abundantly furnished him, but he found time more than once to say to her, It's awfully nice of you to look after poor Mummy. As well as his quick speech, which shyness made obscure, it was usually as desperate as a rush at some violent game. His child's eyes and his man's face put it to her that, you know, this really meant a good deal for him, and that he hoped she would stay on. With a person in the house who, like herself, was clever, poor Mummy was conveniently occupied and Fleda found her beauty in the candour and even in the modesty which apparently kept him from suspecting that two such wise heads could possibly be occupied with Owen Gareth, End of Chapter Two.